RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Supplemental, number 52. From the Rio, Star Trek's job in the 21st century. Welcome into this supplemental edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. How's my voice? Let me stop you right there. Don't do the bit, Mr. Champion. Don't do the bit. No. Because the bit's coming up. How is your voice? Yeah. How's mine? Your voice is pretty good. I Are think we coming you, on to each other right well, now? Is that what's happening? <laughs> well, you would think. No, I mean, I, I think you survived Vegas a little better than I did. Oh, I tried, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I tried to really pace myself, but mm-hmm. uh, the last couple of days, it, it's been rough. Yeah. I think I think trying to pace yourself was your first mistake. Definitely. Yes. I just go like, you know, full bore. I don't want to say guns blazing. I go diplomats being diplomatic. You know, it's Star Trek. If it was a Star Wars thing, you'd say guns blazing. Yeah. It's a Star Trek thing. So you say, I go diplomatic core being very diplomatic. Oh, sure. <laughs> it's just like, you know, to the floor would pretty much be it and take that however you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of people may have thought, hey, I'm, I'm really excited about the two part episode past tense. <laughs> And I will say I'm I'm also well excited is a weird thing because I know that that's a heavy episode, but uh, we're not doing past tense today. No, and I tried to get out ahead of that and make sure that people knew on social media. So uh, that's your first tip. If you're not following Mission Log on Twitter or Facebook, please do because that's where we tend to let people know what's happening. And what's happening is this: we went to Comic Con. Then we went to Vegas, yeah. and those two things being back-to-back, well, they, they throw a little bit of wrench in the works as far as our recording and release dates. So we released our <laughs> Comic-Con panel, then we and had then a, we gave you fascination. You're welcome. Yeah, keep feeling fascination. Yeah, indeed. Dope. Uh, then, then we're going releasing today. This episode is the panel that we did with Rod Roddenberry. Um, but hey, that's okay. Past tense is right around the corner. Yes. Well, like a week. Yeah. Like a week from now, as people hear this for the first time. After that, you know, there's no telling how long it is until they hear it. A lot of people skip these supplementals. And, you know, that's fine. They don't even know. They're just going to be sitting around going, well, I guess there's nothing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's too bad because the supplementals very often, that's where we actually get to do. Honestly, Ken, it's where we get to do what we always said we wanted to do with Mission Log, which is, okay, we watch an episode and we talk about it, but sometimes we get to take a step back and look at maybe a whole series or a season, or in this case, Star Trek from kind of the bird's eye view. And and we we turned it a little bit. You know, in the past, we did the first 25 years of Star Trek and what was Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. Now we're sort of looking forward with uh, Star Trek's job in the 21st century. Uh, a couple of things really quickly. First of all, we did the past 50 years, not the first 25, I think. Well, it, when we did uh, Gene Roddenberry versus Star Trek, we focused on that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, and and sorry, sorry thing. to correct your correction. No, it's fine. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> the other thing is, uh, while you like to take the bird's eye view, I prefer the Gordon's fisherman view. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Frozen like food that. jokes. Tell your friends. This is why you turn in <laughs> to uh, Mission Log A Roddenberry uh, Frozen Foods podcast. So, uh, should we take people to Las Vegas? 
Yeah, let's do it. Oh, hey, do you want to warn people about what they might be going into? Right. Okay. So what John was talking about a moment ago where, you know, we had a lot to do and then we had like a little time to do what we normally do and then we had a lot to do again. Uh, As we record this, I believe I have been uh, back, you know, where I live for maybe 36 hours, probably not, which is to say I have not had a chance to listen to what I'm about to play for you. Now, um, or what we're about to play for you, excuse me, because it's my job to edit. I go in, I do the editing, which means if anybody said anything untoward, it would be my job to either cut it out so you wouldn't know whatever happened or bleep it out. I don't have that kind of time right now. I'm catching up on like three or four other shows that I do, maybe seven. I can't keep up. (laughs) It's possible that Rod Roddenberry said um, a dirty word Mm. in this, because I will tell you, he said things like hell and damn, Mm. which are words that normally you and I stay away from, but we're not above saying those occasionally. Yeah. Um, He may have uttered one of the seven deadlies. In this, as you know, the the George Carlin thing, those words, of course, being, I'm kidding, I'm not going to say what they are. <laughs> I think he might have said one of them at one point. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, normally if we're recording, you know, audio, I'll have a piece of paper next to me and I'll jot down what time that happened. I had a pen and paper with me on stage and I did not jot anything down then. So maybe he doesn't. And kids, this is not, you know, an invitation for you to listen really closely to hear the dirty words, because I don't think there are that many. In fact, I'm not even sure there's one. Uh, be warned, though, there may be uh, one one word that we would not normally utter on this show. And in fact, we didn't. Please direct your angry emails to Rod Roddenberry. Look, he's the boss. He can't be contained. We, we can't we can't just bottle that up. No. Here's the thing. You can try to stop him, but he will take you down with him. So, you know, I, I wouldn't suggest trying it personally. Yep. So without further ado, why don't we all go to Las Vegas? Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing stands the test of time... But that is not what we're doing today. Yay! Thank you. There's a lot of fans of the bit out the there. The bit. That's good. Yes, born here in 2016 of us going on stage in about like three minutes before we going on stage. I'm like, seriously, if we don't have something to say before we go on stage, I'm not going. <laughs> and and so that's what happened to me last year. Well, came into a thing. Yeah, you know. You know. Right. We're, we... <laughs> so I was that... cut out last year. I'll, I'll, I'll make it sound like it's their fault. Uh, So that's not what we're doing today. What we are doing today is a conversation, a conversation with three of us and all of you. So this is going to rely heavily on participation here, but we have a theme, we have an idea that we want to pick apart with all of you, and we thought uh, no better guest to bring on today than our friend and our executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. So uh, if you don't know him, well, here he is. That's Rod. Yeah. Rod, Rod put us together more than seven years ago to do this. And that's all I've really done since. It's been great. If you have trouble finding him, by the way, look for a group of 50 people standing around somebody that you can't see. (laughs) He'll be in the middle of that. There he is. Um, Right. So, several years ago, I knew somebody who got hired for a job. And uh, it was a fairly high-paying, not quite a high-power job, but it was a decent job. And, uh, and she was let go six months after she started that job because after six months, 
Neither she nor the people for whom she worked could say exactly what it was she did. Star Trek is doing something. Star Trek is actually seems to be going like, like you know, guns blazing, like, like humming on all cylinders. Uh, and yet we thought it may be kind of interesting to talk about what exactly the job of Star Trek is today. And that's why we're, that's why we're doing what we're doing here. And, and you may have come wondering yourself what the job is. You may have come with your own ideas of what the job is. And so we are, of course, going to invite people up uh, to... Or, or does it have a job? What? Or does it have a job? Or does Star Trek have a job? Yeah, that's, well, we could get into that too. Although we're kind of starting with the premise that it does. I, yeah. Because people keep paying people. I'm just to trying to it. throw you for a no, look. No, that's fine. Okay. That's good. I'm sorry, and you are. <laughs> this is my job. Um, I have one job, and it's to make your lives difficult. Yes, nice. yes. Right. Let me do it, for Christ's sake. Yeah. <laughs> so well, we might as well go ahead and throw it to you, because uh, you're, you're the expert witness here. Um, and, and we would ask you, we could phrase it as, what is Star Trek's job? Or we could look at it this way and say, there's 700 plus hours of Star Trek out there. Uh, I, I haven't even added in Discovery, and, and obviously there's so much more to come. Um, but what, what's the point? What does Star Trek need to do to be Star Trek? What is the obligation that Star Trek has? So um, it, it's popular, it's successful, but why do we keep making it? Yeah, so I, I'm like, I, th- I consider myself like everyone else. I, I am truly a genuine fan of Star Trek. I'm more a fan of the philosophy than the science fiction, um, but that's ov- obviously very near and dear to me and, and, and sort of is in my background. Um, Star Trek, I'm very protective of Star Trek, um, and I'm very opinionated like you guys uh, as to what it is and what it is to me. So by, by no means, maybe expert witness, sure, but by no means am I the authority, although sometimes I like to think I am. I am not the authority on what Star Trek is. Uh, Star Trek, to me, does have a job, uh, and, it's, and it's a very important job, and it's what distinguishes it from the other science fiction out there. Not that there's other science fiction, but my point is it, it needs to carry a message. It needs to inspire. It needs to give unique and different perspectives for the audience to look at. It needs to bring up sort of social issues and, and have us sort of consider points of view that we normally wouldn't. And, and that's what I have found that it's done for me. Um, maybe not every episode is a winner. And to be honest, listening to these guys, I can tell you how many times they've done a Mission Log episode and pointed out things in a Star Trek episode that I completely missed, having just watched that episode. So there's always things, in it, and, it, and it does make me think, and it does make me excited um, because the topics it brings up uh, uh, change my perspective. And I think when that happens, I, I kind of maybe grow a little bit as a person. I'm like the Grinch. My heart grew a few times each time I listened to Mission Log. Just like my brain Grinch. grew a few times every time I listened to Mission Log. <laughs> well, uh, here's the thing. You, you brought up words that... It, just in talking to other people, I think we hear pretty often, which is inspire. Um, you want there to be a message. You want there to be a heart and a thought behind the episodes to go out there. And then immediately in, in my brain, I'm going, uh, uh, let's see, um, DS9, uh, Alan Moraine. Uh, and I'm thinking of, of other episodes we've covered many times uh, where we've had these conversations. We didn't necessarily find a message or a commentary or, or a, a moral point of it, but we hear from people say, yeah, but it was fun and it was entertaining, and they might be 
good examples of that where there might be bad examples of that. We were talking earlier about TOS, a piece of the action. Piece of the action is a super fun episode, and I don't know anybody who doesn't like that episode. Not a heavy-handed moral message in that. Not uh, not really uh, uh, an ethical uh, dilemma that necessarily speaks to us on a deep level. Uh, but they're fun, you know. And it's okay for Star Trek to have those fun moments that don't really have a philosophical heart to them necessarily. Yeah, and, and I struggle with that. I, I mean, I agree with you, and, and sorry, Ken, but, uh, but uh, can Star Trek just be entertainment? Maybe. Uh, every few episodes can be like that. Yeah, but what's what Star Trek's job? I do think it, it needs to inspire. That's what I was going to say. I mean, take, take, a, take a 26-episode season back when we had those. Yeah. I mean, in a month... My job might be whatever, comptroller of some place or something. There are going to be days in there where I'm not necessarily doing everything that I can to do my job, right? There are going to be days that are going to be off days. Maybe I'm sick. Maybe I'm not feeling great. Maybe I'm distracted. That's a piece of the action. And I'm not bad on that day, yeah. right? But I'm not necessarily doing the thing. But overall, my job is, I'm not, I'm not, I'm sort of coming like, trying to make the two things that you guys are saying meet. Yes, you can have fun episodes. Mm -hmm. Can you have a series of Star Trek that is just that fun thing, that's just a rollicking good time, that's just an hour of explosions and see you next week? Mm -hmm. No. Does not. Well, okay, so he says no. (laughs) Did I say that? No. He says, hmm. Mm. Say more. Well, because here's the thing. I'll take up a little bit of a contrary position here and say that in my mind, I I think from a, a production end, Star Trek's job is to be successful. You know, we don't get more Star Trek unless there is the success of people watching Star Trek and and uh, uh, buying Blu-rays if people still do that, or subscribing to CBS if they do that, or buying action figures and toys if they do that. So there, there's a business aspect that has to be there uh, that has to be near and dear to the people who are producing Star Trek. There also has to be an entertainment factor. There has to be some entertaining value. And Gene Roddenberry himself would, I love that quote in the college lectures. He would say, I'm going to try to do today what we tried to do on Star Trek. Entertain you, make you laugh a little bit, every now and then slip in a heavy idea or two. I think that's fair as well. And then I would also say, okay, well, what are the stories we're telling? Well, those stories might be this is the thematic job of Star Trek, the inspirational, aspirational comments about uh, who we are, an exploration of humanity. Now, I don't think that those three things are mutually exclusive. I don't think that those three elements um, uh, contradict each other. I think to ultimately be successful, all of those have to fall into place. And, and I guess, you know, when we look at the different series, they all put different emphasis, maybe, on those different parts of Star Trek. But it also has to do with the, the production style as well. You might have Star Trek that's driven by one person. You might have Star Trek driven by a team of people. You might have Star Trek where, well, recently you, you lose the head of the production, and then that job moves around a bit, and maybe the point of view changes a bit as the show gets produced. So when you say it's Star Trek's job to be successful, though, are you just saying that from commercial viability? You're saying, because right now, Star Trek's job, with the exception of what's going on to Nickelodeon, and maybe if they ever get around to making a fourth movie in in the Kelvin timeline, Star Trek's job right now is to get people to sign up for CBS All Access. 
Sure. That is, I mean, I think as far as CBS is concerned, that is Star Trek's biggest job right now. The yeah. former CEO of CBS used to refer to them as, I won't say what he referred to them as, the crown jewels is I think what he meant to say or what he should have said. Right, right, he right. saw that as the way that they were going to get people to subscribe to CBS All Access. If that is what Star Trek does, then by your definition, has Star Trek succeeded? Sure. That's it. Well, Star Trek has succeeded in that role. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, uh, commercially to get people to sign up for CBS All Access or, or go buy a ticket to, uh, oh, hey. That uh, truck is getting closer, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, or or to, to buy a ticket to go see a movie and, you know, look at it realistically. Star Trek Beyond, you and I both really loved, and Paramount had said before that movie came out, oh, yeah, we can't wait for the next Star Trek movie, and then about a week later... Well, we really haven't decided about a fourth Star Trek movie yet. So there was something along the lines there that didn't succeed to their expectation. And guess what? No fourth Star Trek movie, at least not on the immediate horizon. Right. It really depends on where you're coming from. It's the same question, but it's two different perspectives. I mean, Star Trek would not survive, obviously, if it didn't entertain because it needs to make money. Um, CBS needs to make money. Paramount needs to make money. I think this is how you get bucks in seats, honestly. Right. So I get that, and I don't disagree with that. But... The way I took the question was, you know, what is Star Trek's job? What, what yeah. the job of the storytelling? You know, yeah. the, so that's that's where I come from on it. So then let me got, let me ask you another question. I'm sorry, really quickly. Let me ask you another question. I talked to somebody at the table um, uh, yesterday, whose entry into Star Trek was the 2009 movie. You can argue if you want to about whether or not those three movies did the job of Star Trek, the moral job of Star Trek or something like that. But here's the thing, that sure. person has gone back and watched it all now and is like and grocks the fullness of like the original series and the next gen and things like that. That is, would be a great mission log t shirt, Grok the Fullness. Yeah, I love a, that. It's yeah. A, it's a Martian Chronicle thing. But <laughs> I like the uh, what was it on uh, the Saturday Night Live thing, the I Grok Spot. I Grok Spot. Yeah, that's yeah. a fantastic. I'm disappointed I haven't seen anybody here with that. Yeah, well, uh, we, get, we know a guy. We, we know a guy. Yeah. Movies often, though, didn't really have. They, not all of them. I mean, there's some. Right, but it got, it got this person in. Sure. So like, let's yeah. say the next 20 years or 10 years or five years even don't have a moral anything. Is it still doing the that's job that you yeah, want it to do? But is it still doing the job that you want it to do? Because people come through the door and they say, oh, this is kind of cool. I wonder what else is out there. And then they end up you know, going back. to everything I don't. I, I think it's diluted, watered down to that point. And even though there will be some that go back and maybe watch the originals and actually kind of grok that, um, I, I think at that point, if Star Trek is just purely entertainment for the next 20 years, it's no longer Star Trek. In let's, my opinion. Let, let's go to a question. Let's see how many of the people lined up will use the word grok in their question or comment. Yeah. You're going to put me on that spot. Um, Andy here. Hi, guys. Um, hey, Andy. Long-time listener. I guess at this point, long-time caller. Um, I misread the title. I thought it was Star Trek Jobs in the 21st century. I was here to reply. <laughs> no. Uh, no, this is so rich. I love this subject because um, I've been thinking about it, and I'm not sure I can say what Star Trek's job is, but maybe what its job is for me for me or what I want out of Star Trek and I've really been doing a lot of thinking about Star Trek over the last year and watching Discovery and seeing everything that's come out and wondering what's missing because there's something been missing for me and here's what it is I was just a little too young for the original series when it first came out, but I caught the first batch of reruns I caught the, the animated series on Saturday morning cartoons as a child, 
I was encouraged by my parents to watch these shows because they taught me about things like racism, sexism, teamwork, all of the things that other other fairy tales teach us, Hans Christian Andersen and, and, um, you know, Dr. Seuss, um, how to share, how to get along as a team, all those kinds of morality lessons. Those were a part of what Star Trek was for me. Um, Watching shows like um, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield and, and really understanding racism as a child and being able to grow up in that. What I want from Star Trek, the job I want Star Trek to take on again, is to get back to that. Let's create some stories that we can pass down to our children as this is how to live. This is what our potential future is. This is, these are the life lessons that we want you to, 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 to see, to, to, um, to experience. Sorry, I'm a little emotional right now. Um, I love Star Trek with all my heart and all my passion. And it, in a lot of ways, made me into the person that I am today. And I don't know if people watching the new Star Trek would be affected in any way other than that was cool. I, I, so I'm, I'm where you are. I mean, you and I are of similar thought in, mm-hmm. in, in, in this sort of area. Uh, what, what I've been wrestling with is when I've made comments that are similar to someone, a fan, someone who admires all the shows and, and loves Discovery, is that they have said to me, Discovery does have that. And, and they'll, they'll kind of throw out some scenes and stuff that I may have overlooked or not considered. And uh, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. We see the shows in our own sort of way, and we pull certain things out of it that, that resonate to us. Um, but but I, I, I hear you. Okay. The, well, the, other thing, the other thing I would say really quickly, um, most of the rest of Star Trek, not all of it, but a lot of times, a lot of Star Trek has been white guy driven. I mean, and, and you can fault, you can, you might be able to, I don't want to say you can, you might choose to fault Discovery for a lot of things. Um, a diversity and, and strong female characters, uh, it's doing a great, it's doing a great job, I think. The, the thing that I then find myself wondering about is, okay, so then what stories are we telling with that? Yeah. I feel like we've accomplished a lot Oh, I think we've accomplished a t- I agree. I agree completely about the characters, about some of the situations. But then we get into a shoot 'em up. And we're getting to what? I'm sorry. We get into a shoot 'em up for an hour. Yeah, I mean that's I like I would love that cast with maybe some of those old stories. Right. Would would be fantastic because yeah. then we've kind of got all of it or a lot of it anyway. Thank you for letting me talk about that. Where do I apply for the job now? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Hey there. Is it my turn? Please. All righty. Well, um, I agree with everything that, that's been said so far. I mean, first and foremost, Star Trek's job is to generate a sufficient profit, profit margin for CBS and Paramount and whoever else, Creation Entertainment. <laughs> but um, <laughs> how does it do that? Well, I, I had a thought this morning. This is my first ever convention, and it, it just clicked in my head that, like, this is probably the most judgment-free place I have ever been in my life. Like, everyone, all ages and shapes and sizes and ability and mobility levels and all, you know, the gender spectrum and everything and people in all sorts of attire, and nobody cares, and everyone just, uh, you know, kind of loves each other, I guess. 
And what do any of us have in common? Well, we have Star Trek. Um, I think Star Trek's job is to unite, not divide. It seems like most of the mass media out there, its, its sole purpose is to divide. There's a lot of profit in division and pitting people against each other. And um, some of the things we see in Star Trek where, um, you know, pre-discovery, and DS9 has a little more gray areas, but in, I'm trying to think, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, where the bad guy is all bad and all bad to the core. Um, and that's kind of what, in the, especially in American politics these days, well, the one side thinks the other side is all bad and all bad to the core, and they're pure evil, and vice versa. Um, but Star Trek, I think its purpose is to unite us, to get um, you know, some of the deeper messages, and I think you said earlier, Rod, to get people to see something from a different point of view that you might not have considered. Um, and then stuff like this were to get us all in the same room and interacting with people that we never would have interacted with you know, in our normal everyday lives. Trust me, there's not a lot of the people here you don't find in Nebraska. I can promise you that. Um, so how does Star Trek do its job of uniting its, you know, I, I agree with what you guys were saying earlier, the deeper stories, not so much of the fluff. I mean, the action, you know what, Discovery, it's really action-driven, special effects-driven. Uh, same with the J.J. movies. And if that's bringing in people who are attracted to that, and then they come to see that greater body of knowledge that is Star Trek, um, then great, it's bringing them into the world um, but, yeah, I am, I'm on the same page. I'd like to see more substance and, and to, for Star Trek to continue its tradition of, yeah, entertain you, make you laugh a little, but, you know, sneak in a little heavy idea here and there. So. See, I couldn't agree more. I, I think what you described sort of unites all these ideas. I mean, let, let's be realistic. We're all here participating in a commercial venture. We, we all paid to get here. We all paid. Yeah, exactly. Make it rain. Yes. Um, and... When we told people where we were going, we didn't say, well, we're going to this conference where we're going to talk about uh, very deep, thoughtful, philosophical, humanistic ideals, social progress, uh, politics. No, we all said we're going to do this thing that's fun, and we're all going to go out to the bars at night and have fun, and they were going to show up in costumes because it's fun, you know? But underlying all of that is the fact that this fun thing that we get to participate in has ideas that challenge and inspire and offer hope and, and do all these other wonderful things that a lot of entertainment doesn't necessarily do or maybe has a more difficult time doing. John, I really like the rhinestones you've got going on, that jacket. Wait, do I, huh? what? Oh, oh wait, wait. I, oh, I have something's my, shining from I here. I have my 1964 World's Fair pen. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Thank oh, no, you. thank you for sharing. No, that, that's... Uh, Alamarine. Yeah, thank Alamarine. you. <laughs> there you go. No one said grok yet. No one said grok yet. Yeah. Yeah. Grok on. There you go. Oh, there right. we go. There we go. go. Bravo. Hi. Bravo. So, um, as a high school teacher, when we talk about the job of Star Trek, the thing that starts to hit me most is what does this mean to kids of that generation, to teenagers and, you know, soon-to-be college students? Um, I had some students at my school actually approach me and said they want to watch Star Trek Discovery at lunch on Wednesdays with me. So every week we had Warp Wednesdays and they would come to my room and we'd watch it and they'd talk about it. And I'd ask them, you know, from your point of view, as, and I think maybe one of them had seen any Star Trek prior to that. Most of them this was brand new to Star Trek. Uh, they found huge amounts of meaning and morals within Discovery. The storytelling is more nuanced. It's not as, as neatly packaged, here's our little Aesop's fable 
you know, tail, uh, you know, du jour as we saw in TOS and in NextGen, but... Not a, not a bonk bonk on the head moment, that's what right. you're saying. <laughs> yeah, so it's more nuanced, but they picked it up. And the thing that really struck me is that they, you know, a generational difference. Um, their access, they're, you know, they're growing up with access to knowledge about world events that we did not have, that no one in this room had when we were growing up watching Star Trek. Um, they would see things like, they, you know, they saw the different Klingon, the Klingon politics and the Klingon groups as similar to what's going on in the Middle East. I mean, that's not something, that's not something 16-year-old me would have ever figured out watching Star Trek. Um, and so with that in mind, um, I feel that moving forward into the future, Star Trek might have a job of running interference when it comes to cynicism and fear. Um, because a lot of them are growing up in a world where they feel like everything is just, you know, breaking apart and people aren't getting along. What do we do? Climate change. It's very, uh, it's very depressing. And they carry a much greater burden on their shoulders of that future than we ever did. So, you know, they, they read a lot of dystopian fiction. You know, a lot of it's great, you know, Hunger Games and so on. But they need this to be able to see... Yes, this is what it could be. It could be better. It doesn't have to be horrible. And that's kind of an uphill battle. Like, that's a hard task to take. And so, so I, do, I do tend to, t- to think of it in terms of them when I think about where is it going. I know what it was for me, but it may need to evolve in terms of its responsibility in the future. Can I ask you a question? Sure. What do they see, because I'm trying to think of what we've seen in Discovery, and this is not too bash Discovery, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to think of what we've seen in Discovery that shows the kind of future that somebody might want to go to. I mean, are they just excited that somebody's talking, as John was saying when we were talking earlier today, they're just excited to see, oh, look, somebody thinks we're going to make it 250 years in the future. I mean, and so is that enough of a promise, or is there... Is there something that they've shown about society that's making those kids go, hey, that's a thing I would want to aim towards? For them, a lot of it was a discussion about ethics. You know, how, you know, what are the policies? You know, Star Trek, or Starfleet never fires first. You know, there, there was talk about that, how it came to be. And we had a lot of conversations where, yeah, I gave them backstory on, <laughs> you know, Starfleet and the history of the Federation. Um, you know, the, the treatment of the tardigrade, for example. You know, that resonated with them, especially since, um, you know, right now, you know, uh, companies are breaking ties with SeaWorld. There's a lot of, you know, animal rights um, challenges and progress that's been made. They're, they're seeing those connections and saying, okay, by that point, we've, we've figured that out a little bit, and that's inspiring. I, I think the... the... We're, we're again on the same page. I think yeah. the, the problem that, that uh, I'd want to speak for you, Ken, but that some people might have is the, the, the corruption. I mean, season one of Discovery, uh, fortunately, unfortunately, it, it, mirror universe. We had, spoiler alert, by the way, we had a captain on board who wasn't all that he seemed to be. Um, he was obviously from the mirror universe and arguably evil. Um, so there was corruption right there. Yeah, you had the character saying, no, we treat animals, or we te- we've got to treat this creature correctly, we've got to stick to our ethics, no, Starfleet doesn't do this, but we were also introduced to corruption in various forms on the ship, um, whether it was between a crew or the captain or you've got the dark side of Starfleet, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think if I can speak for you, Ken, and you please clear this for me, uh, that is sort of what rubs you and some of us the wrong way, is in that future, 
we both know not everything would be perfect, but we want to know that we have, well, I, the next generation crew, you know, a team that works together, respects one another, and is able to have discussions, g- good discussions, even disagreeing, but still have those discussions respectfully and responsibly and come to conclusions. Whereas it, it was a little bit, well, it was a little bit rough around the edges. Hey, on but, but for every uh, Picard, there's a Jellico. <laughs> and, you know, there's, we, we see that throughout, whether it's TOS or Next Gen or whatever. There, there's always an element. And I mean, the, the Badmiral is a trope of Star Trek because that's from the beginning of Star Trek. Yeah, and you also see, I mean, by the end of season one of Discovery, you know, you got Michael Burnham's beautiful speech about, you know, this is Starfleet, this is who we are. It's, I feel like the, the crew did come to that place in many ways of having that respectful Dynamic, and it seemed to develop more in the second season, you know, between Saru and Burnham, for example. But um, it's like, I I get that it's not always going to look the same, you know, and what we expected out of Next Gen and and how that dynamic was something to really look forward to. Um, You know, to see things rough around the edges, Deep Space Nine was not (laughs) that initially. You know, you had this complex dynamic, but it's good for them. I think they, you know, young people anyway, to see that that's, it's not perfect, it's a work in progress, but the, uh, the aspirations to be better is the goal. So, yeah. um, thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Hi. Um, first of all, I want to thank you guys for reigniting my passion for Star Trek through your podcast. Um, the question I had, what I've been wondering about, is there a producer, director, writer, or one of the, even the, one of the production art designers who is underrated, whose contribution to making Star Trek what it is today and giving it a job we can talk about in the 21st century doesn't get you know, talked about enough? I mean, David Gerald, to me, comes to mind as someone I would have liked to have heard more from in terms of his writing and his passion for Star Trek, so I wondered if you guys had any thoughts can, on it. Can I just say, do you mean yeah. historically, or do you mean currently? Historically or currently. Okay. I'm just going to give you a fluff response, and then you can talk to, to these, these guys. But I mean, there, there are so many underappreciated, undervalued people that have worked on Star Trek throughout the years, that are below the line, people who are... Everyone... We just showed this great quote in the, in the Roddenberry panel of my father saying that... that basically giving credit to everyone on the show who, who made Star Trek what it is. He, he said, I didn't come up with the Vulcan pinch. I didn't come up with the Klingons. It was other people who came up with these things. And so there are a ton of people. Some of the stories we've heard, but some we haven't, and they're lost to history. But there are a lot of people who made Star Trek what it is today that were not my father, and, and they all deserve recognition, and I can't really name... Gene Kuhn was who we named in the panel, but there are many other greats in Star Trek. I mean, if you haven't taken the, the opportunity to read some of Bob Justman's memos uh, that we cover in the Trek Files, and he, he wrote uh, the book uh, Inside Star Trek, his footprint is all over Star Trek. I mean, it's just, it, there's so much of him in that show. But there's also the, the brilliance of that, that triumvirate, Gene Kuhn, Gene Roddenberry, and Bob Justman, hiring these great writers to contribute and and really starting out with literary science fiction and bringing that to television. When you get to Next Gen, it's a very different dynamic. Um, it's part of putting the old team back together and getting Dorothy Fontana, who is 
genius in her own right. Um, but those first couple of years were very tumultuous for Next Gen. Uh, a few of those people were able to stick around and their mm -hmm. contributions really rose to the top. A lot of people didn't make it. Um, and that's unfortunate. I would also say, uh, like for Enterprise, Manny Cotto, uh, who was the showrunner on the fourth season, absolutely knocked it out of the park. And to this day, I'm sad that we didn't get a fifth season under his guidance. Yeah, that should have gone at least seven seasons, yeah. for sure. Yeah, for sure. No? Thank you. No, okay. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hey, Hi what's there. up? Um, I think it's important that the, uh, I think the job of Star Trek is very much the same as it's always been. I think that's really important, uh, which I'll, well, I'll, I'll elaborate on that, but first I want to talk about when I got into Star Trek, TNG was in its fifth season. I didn't even know there was a Star Trek TNG. All I knew of Star Trek was, oh, there's Spock and Kirk and the Enterprise. And I stumbled across the, uh, the episode um, Imaginary Friend, uh, just flipping through channels. I, didn't, I don't even think I knew I was watching Star Trek at first. Um, and it's, you know, looking back, it's a mediocre episode, but uh, I was intrigued by the sci-fi element. But when it got to the end and Picard solves the problem by talking to the aliens and explaining how human parents protect their children, I was immediately intrigued. I was immediately like, where's, not disappointed, I was pleasantly intrigued. I was like, there was no space battle, there was no fist fight, that this man just, or the presence of Picard, Picard to this day is my favorite character uh, in Star Trek. I'm a big Picard fan, so obviously looking forward to the show. Um, so I, I mean, I think uh, in, in, with, with current events, uh, as, as much as ever, it's important for the stories to reflect what's happening now, just like that was the original intent of the original series, you know, at the time when they couldn't talk about things uh, in, in directly in TV shows that they, can, that they could tell through allegory, through Star Trek. So I think that's more important than ever now, given the, uh, the state of affairs in the country and the world. You just made me want to change my response. Yeah. Okay. Um, Star Trek's job is not to inspire. I think Star Trek's job is to teach empathy. That's, I'm, I'm changing it to that. Okay. Um, just, I, I think it's... Well, well, there goes the panel. I know. Great. I screw the whole thing up. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, two things about that. Um, you pointed out something very uh, important in a lesson that, that is a very Star Trek thing, and almost comedically so, that Picard was there to talk through a problem, and he's the one who said, you negotiate, and if you fail, you negotiate again, and you keep negotiating until you come to a compromise, and that, that was his approach. And that always reminds me of uh, Ken's brilliant take on uh, a Star Trek ride, uh, which you've shared on Mission Log Live. Yeah, it wasn't mine. It was, it was oh. a bunch of us talking one day. But yeah, the idea is, because, um, you know, Galaxy's Edge is out, and Galaxy's Edge is fantastic, and we all want to go there, and we all want to ride that. And it's like, so what would a Star Trek ride be like? And the idea is, uh, a Star Trek theme park, you get in line for a roller coaster, and a Klingon shoves in front of you. And then for the two hours it takes to get to the, to, through the line, you're talking with the Klingon about maybe why he shouldn't have done that and how you guys could maybe both get there together. And that's the end of the ride. There's no roller coaster. That's Just great. By the time you get to the end of it, then you're like, okay, great. And then you go stand in another line, and then a Romulan shoves in front of you, and it's a, it's a really boring theme park. So good. Yeah, but so Star accurate. Trek. I think it is accurate. So Star Trek. But you'll be a better person coming out of that. The, thing that, the one thing that I think about, yes, uh, the one thing I think about, and no money. All the souvenirs are free because it's so, it's so immersive that you're just like, I want a shirt. And they're like, well, I got to give you one because yeah. here we are. Um, I think this might go back to what you were saying a moment ago about discovery as well. Everything you're talking about, that was the power structure. 
Yes, occasionally you did have Picard squaring off with an admiral, but you didn't have Picard squaring off with Starfleet until Insurrection. And even then you could argue it's just that one admiral and, you know, uh, F. Murray Abraham. Anthony Zerb from uh, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and Salieri from Amadeus. Yep. Yeah, bad guys all around. So um, in Discovery, they send the best and brightest out of the war because they want to make sure he's safe. If you have to get rid of your best and brightest to do what it is you want to do, you're not doing what you should do, I don't think. And that I think that might sort of get to the point that you were making. I don't know. That's the one thing that comes to mind for me, though. Or you have no idea what you're doing in season two until the end of season one, well, and then you're like, we should... Oh. That's oh, not you're true. Talking That's not real true. production they reality bumps heads with art. Yeah, but and it is one last uh, quick thing about that. Uh, you made a really good point, which is that you know art reflects the time that it's in, and I think overall Star Trek has done a really interesting job of exploring ideas of humanity, who we are, and we might find characters that uh, reflect us or inspire us somehow we relate to, um, but the stories that they tell and the points that they want or need to make are going to be directly derivative of the times in which they're produced. So in the 1960s, this very tumultuous time, um, and not to say that now is not, because it certainly is, uh, but the concerns might be different, the, uh, the, the amplification of those concerns might be different. Um, so they will always be a product of their time, you know. I, it's funny, so I mentioned that I'm wearing this 1964 World's Fair pin uh, because I think that was such a cool kind of touchstone in the culture. And uh, it, there's a big slice of that in Disney's Tomorrowland. But, you know, the, the problem they always said with Tomorrowland is that it was always Todayland. So no matter what they did to redress it, it would always look like today, and you come back in a few years, and then it looks old. So you have to keep reinventing. Now, fortunately, there's very good storytelling in Star Trek, so things like the original series and Next Gen hold up to certain audiences. To some, they may not. Sometimes because we haven't evolved that far. Sure. Sometimes. Yeah. So uh, one last quick comment is I think some of the best of Star Trek, uh, when you're looking for the morals, meanings, and messages, doesn't necessarily have that... Uh, you see Timmy or Bunk Bunk on the head, and I think this is important going forward with Deep Space Nine. I think some of the best ones um, inspire conversation about did the characters do the right thing or not. Um, I recently watched uh, Preemptive Strike where uh, Bro uh, leaves to join the Maquis, and that's a good example of that. And uh, I think a lot of Deep Space Nine episodes, I, I land there too. I'm like, there wasn't really a, a message, but you could have a really good conversation about did these characters make the right choices? Would you have done the same thing? We were just talking about that before the panel, saying, like, go back to a TOS episode, like, um, Private Little War. Saying that there's not a right answer in there at all. It's just sort of you're faced with the problem and hope that you're living up to your ideals with whatever you do. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Does this count as a call-in? <laughs> Um, I had to stand up when you mentioned a piece of the action. So I had to stand up and defend it for what, for what it is. Um, 1976, 1977, I was three or four years old. My dad plopped me down in front of the TV and said, watch this. You know? um, and so I did. And uh, some of it was campy and uh, fun. And that might have got me to keep watching it a little bit. But what got me to ask the question about a piece of the action was, well, what are they trying to tell me here? 
And what it was was something I hadn't considered as such a young kid. Um, a culture can be influenced by the actions of a visiting culture, right? Somebody dropped this book off and this is what happened. Um, it was funny, but um, it made me think differently at an early age. So the question I think you're asking in the panel is a little bit too big for us, but all I can really do is answer it for me and hope that it applies now, and that is that it needs to make people, especially young people, that young, ask the question. Put your kids down in front of the TV and have them watch it, and then talk about it. Answer questions, that's what my dad did. So, I mean, what was it for you, right? What, 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 what was its job for you? Sorry, I, I didn't hear what, what was the what, what was its job oh, for what you? What was its job for me? Yeah. Well, here's the thing I think it changes over time. You know, I mean, when I was five years old or whatever, Star Trek's job was to entertain me. Absolutely. And, and I love the look of it. And, and Kirk, Spock, McCoy on that bridge in that enterprise having those adventures, that was what appealed to me. And, um, Something that was brought up earlier, I think it was Meredith who brought it up that we sort of riffed on for a minute, um, was sort of that this, this future that is us, where everybody's got a, a place to be and a thing to do. Everybody is sort of included and welcome in there. And it's not, uh, it's not an explicit message in every episode, but it is implicit with the idea that humanity has made it. We're all doing cool things. Some of those are extremely challenging, you know, but we're all, we're all there. That's us. We, we made it past, in that case, the 60s and then the 80s and 90s, and now we're telling different stories because it's a different era. Um, but there was just the appeal of, well, this is a cool place to be with people doing awesome things. Later, and it was much later, that I started to look at Star Trek for the stories that it told. And, and honestly, it's because of Rod and because of the conversations that Ken and I get to have every week that we get to analyze it a different way. And, and I, I'm so still grateful for the opportunity to be able to study Star Trek the, the way that you would study great literature. Or, and I'm jealous of everybody who has ever taught or taken a Star Trek class. Like, I think that's so cool that those exist. Because you actually get to study the text, study the, the, the stories. I think my job actually was just preparing for Mission Log. And I'm not, I mean, I'm kidding, but I'm not. Because when Rod first said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this show, I want to do this, I basically said, so you want me to do what I did throughout my 20s? Because that's what I did throughout my 20s. My friends, I, I had a roommate who he and I would watch Star Trek for an hour and then sit and talk about it for three. Uh, Next Gen, reruns of Next Gen. And there weren't like favorites. It wasn't like, oh, I love this one. And then we would just talk about it over and over again. We would just sit and, you know, I'd go make dinner and I'd, you know, stick my head back out in the living room. And I'm like, well, what about this part? And we would talk, we would talk, we would talk for hours and, you know, repel other people all day long. <laughs> but we had a good yep. time. Yeah. So. Thank you. Thanks, man. Hi. Um, this might be a bit scattered because I haven't had a lot of time to prepare it. Uh, but, John, you were right saying that Star Trek's job is to make money as a commercial entity. Ken, you're right saying, though, in implying, which I'm going to put words in your mouth and stuff now, um, that Star Trek does this in a different way. Star Trek ultimately is its most profitable when it's being the Star Trek everyone knows and loves and has that undercurrent of the message, the moral, and the meaning. 
What I mean is you can look back at when executives were messing with Enterprise, people who didn't know Star Trek and know anything about it and all of their ideas and suggestions for how to make the show better never improved anything because they're missing the underlying of why Star Trek fans are there for Star Trek. If you're looking in this day and age now for something dark and gritty, there's Battlestar that's out there. If you want explosions, you have Star Wars. If you want the hard nuts and bolts sci-fi, now you can go to The Expanse. Once upon a time in the 60s, Star Trek was the hard sci-fi, nuts and bolts sci-fi. It's evolved now over 50 years. And in the time of the 60s, and even all the way through, I think, up until now, the morality stories that Star Trek would tell, you could pretty much figure out what side you were on easily. Star Trek even does that now, but if we quote Picard, the first duty of a Starfleet officer is to the truth. And we live, this is the Star Trek in the first age where truth has a question mark. We'd all like to think, and we all kind of like to believe that we're on the same side there, but we have people everywhere who will say it's nighttime, and then the next day they'll say, no, I didn't say that, it said it was the day, and half of us believe them and, or let them off for it. Aren't these and alternate facts? <laughs> they're whatever, whatever you want to call them from, wherever it comes from. It's difficult, I think, that people used to know who the enemy was in a way, and I think part of what Discovery digs into today is how we need to watch the structures that we use to govern ourselves far more closely for the poisons that are inside it. And maybe that's the message that this Star Trek now, that its job is to tell us, to make, keep us vigilant on that. Because even some people like myself, I'm tired of it all, of being on guard and being vigilant. And it's, it's hard because we all have lives to live. And so I think that's its job, is to really make sure we're focused on that message today. Because that's the biggest concern. In a way, that's among the biggest concerns for the people, the main audience that watches Star Trek. Yeah. I think. No, you're, you're right. I mean, today's Star Trek is much more uh, uh, real in the fact that things aren't always black and white. And, um, and I, I, to be honest, you know, I'm not an we're old man. We're told things aren't always What's black that? and white. We're told things aren't always black and white. Well, <laughs> right. Well... I'm, I'm kind of at the place where when I watch a, a show, well, when I watch Star Trek, I'm used to and I want the old ways. You know, this is back TOS versus Next Generation. All the original series fans were saying how terrible the show would be, and of course now most of us, I think, all love it. Um, I don't want to say I'm completely stuck in my ways, but I do miss the days of feeling good after an episode. You know, feeling good because... I'm surprised that I saw something in a new way or, or whatever. I was challenged. I just I felt good at the end because there was a nice good ending. And with the new formatting, it, it, you don't always get that. And, and I'm, I'm, like, I'm like the original fans on some level where I'm just sort of like, I, I, I'm, I'm getting into it. I love Discovery. Don't get me wrong. I work on the damn show. But um, I also am a fan of Star Trek. And it's my father's philosophy. Like I said, for me, philosophy first, sci-fi second. And we don't always... I'm not saying that's the right way. I'm just so damn close to it that that's how I see Star Trek. And if it doesn't have the philosophy, it's not Star Trek. And that's not, well, that's my point of view. I hope I was kind of agreeing with you. We're in agreement. What's that? We're saying, because, yeah, it has to have the moral, it has to have the moral, the point, the the empathizing element for it to be Star Trek. Yeah, empathy? Yeah. 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 Well, uh, uh, empathy is just so critical for all of us right now. And and, uh, listen, I'm not pointing the finger out there. I'm pointing the finger here. Uh, Whether it's it's someone in office or someone around us, it's very easy for me to immediately say that person's stupid. As opposed to, uh, well, why is this person behaving this way? What's behind that and what's behind that? And shouldn't I be more compassionate 
rather than calling him or her an idiot. Very easy for me to sit up here and say that to you. Very hard for me to frickin' do it. Yeah. So, and I think for all of us. But if we can all do more of that, and if Star Trek can inspire us to do that, I use, yeah, then good. Then Star Trek's winning. And, uh, and with that, Doug has called time. Oh. And uh, I can't thank all of you enough for being here. That this is fast. a fantastic yeah. crowd. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank, thank you. for coming up. Yeah. Should we tell people about the, uh, the funniest thing that happened? This is, this is one of those times where we always get back and we're like, oh, and this person was great and that person was wonderful and, and we just can't name everybody. Right. I say we don't even try to name everybody, but there are two people who do have to be name-checked. Those two people, of course, being uh, Alt John Champion <laughs> And Logie Ken Ray. Can I just set this up for a second, though? So th- this was uh, Thursday night that we had our uh, happy hour, our cocktail party for listeners of the Roddenberry Podcast Network. And fortunately, I mean, so many people came out for that, which was really cool. Now, you and I were at the table, and I think we were among the last to leave the table And you cut out about 10 minutes ahead of me and you said, hey, I'm going to leave now. I need to go up to the room and change out of this. I'm going to put on my cool uh, tuxedo jacket that you had blinged out with the giant Idic on the back and the giant Idic. Yeah. So cool. And and you had shown me a little preview of this. Um, So I, I said, yeah, of course, go ahead and I'll wait a few minutes and then I'll meet you at the bar. Your room was much further away than mine. So you got a head start. Yeah. So you did that. I went back up to my room. I changed as well. And I came down and I'm walking up to the back of the eye bar. And Uh, and I totally surprised John because I'm just there, my schlubby self. I got my got my earbuds in. I got my uh, get your earbuds. Yeah. Got my 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 TNG hoodie. Yeah. Got got my Ditalics Mining Corporation T-shirt. I'm not wearing my big blingy jacket except. Yes, I am. Yeah, so I walked up to Ken Ray. I, I see him from a distance, and I walk up the back entrance of the I-bar, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's where the party is. I wanted to make sure I was walking into my own party, right? That's where the party is. That's where Ken is. I'll go hang out with Ken, because that's the only way that people know the both of us is when we're together, right? And I get, I get about maybe 18 inches away, and all I can think to myself is, why are you not wearing your cool tuxedo jacket? Oh, that's not Ken. No, that is no. Uh, that is Beth Salvia. Yeah, uh, playing the part of Ken Ray and her her lovely husband Barry Rice, uh, playing the part of uh, of John Champion. It was just too weird. Their cosplay is always next level. Except for this one time. Because <laughs> we're not next level. And yet, uh, yeah, it was it was nuts. So as, as John said earlier, if you're not following us on, uh, I, I can't remember, is that on your Instagram? Uh, it's on mine, but you know what? I'm I, As of today, I'm going to post it on the Facebook, Instagram, okay. and, fa- and uh, uh, Mission Log Facebook and Mission Log uh, Twitter. 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 Yeah. That's the one. That's the one right yeah. there. Yeah, it's been a hard week, week and yeah. a half, whatever it is, John. Um, it's I don't even know what to say about what they did, except to say that to uh, I will actually get emotional um, to both you and me. They have mm-hmm. been really good friends 
and um, and then they pulled us crap. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was really stunning and really wonderful. And and I'm gonna I'm just gonna say Beth and Barry and make that representative of all of the wonderful people that we got to spend time with and hang out with at uh, at Star Trek Las Vegas. I'm so tempted to start naming people, but I'll never forget some. I'm gonna let them be the stand-ins. Yeah. Um, there's just so much, there's so much love and wonder in the people that you get to spend a week with and, and you spend 51 other weeks missing mm-hmm. those people. But, um, yeah, that was nuts. And also, uh, also just a wonderful, wonderful time. Hey, so I want to remind people, um, you got to hear our panel today, and here we are talking lovingly about our friends who come out and see us at Vegas. Uh, we also meet new people every time we go there. That's part of the fun of it, is catching up with uh, uh, listeners and people that we've met before, but also meeting new people and introducing them to the whole idea of a Star Trek podcast, or in our case, multiple Star Trek podcasts. We'll talk more about this. If you're a Mission Log listener and you are not subscribed to or you don't join us live for Mission Log Live on Tuesday nights, please do so. It's a fun show. It's very different from this format, very different from the regular Mission Log format. This coming Tuesday night, we will have uh, at least two guests who are with us in Vegas. We'll talk about all the news that came out of Vegas and the fun that came out of STLV 2019. So make sure you join us for that and make sure you join us every week. Like I said, if you can't join us for the live show at facebook.com slash missionlogpod or youtube.com slash roddenberryprod, uh, just search for Mission Log Live and you can subscribe to the audio only feed and uh, get a little a double dose of mission log through the week. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.